40, 3 through 5, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. From Isaiah 9, verses through to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch-dark land, light has dawned. You have made the nation great. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as though who divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you've shattered the yoke that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Because every boot of the thundering warriors and every garment rolled in blood will be burned, fuel for the fire. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. And authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of heavenly forces will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. So for, the, for our Advent series, we're doing something a little different. We pretty much always do a, a series. And so this year, uh, we chose one based on the Grinch. And uh, the name of the series is, if I can get this to cooperate, there we go, is The Heart That Grew Three Sizes. Now, I've never been that big of a Dr. Seuss fan or a Grinch person or whatever, but the series looked really cute. So I did some digging around in it, and I thought, this, this has the promise of being delightful, and I hope that it will be for all of us. So before we get into today's sermon or teaching, whatever we want to call it, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Seuss. So I did some Wikipedia research, just some real hard-hitting, deep-dive kind of things on Dr. Seuss. Took me forever. But his real name was Theodore Geisel, I'm thinking. I'm not 100% sure. He was born in 1904. Uh, he was married to Helen Palmer, and she had suffered many illnesses. She was evidently sickly their, her entire life. They did not have children. Uh, he wrote over 80 books that sold over 600 million copies and was translated in over 20 languages. I know we have some school teachers in the sanctuary this morning. How many of you use Dr. Seuss in your classroom? Yeah, back there. Do y'all don't? He's a little young for your guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite story of Dr. Seuss is also from Wikipedia. I hope you can appreciate how hard this was for me. In May of 1954, Life magazine published a report on illiteracy among school children, which concluded that children were not, were not learning to read because their books were boring. William Ellsworth Spaulding was the director of the education division at Hugh, one of those publishing companies. 
and he compiled a list of 348 words that he felt were important for first graders to recognize. He asked Geisel to cut the list to 250 words and write a book using only those words. He did. Anyone want to guess what book that was? Cat in the Hat. I think that's pretty clever. He used all 236 words in that book. According to Matthew Rawls, who actually was writing this series on Advent about the heart that grew three sizes, he said that Dr. Seuss wrote the children's book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, in 1957 as a story that pushed against mainstream Christian traditions. As Rawls says, he tried to avoid kitschy and sentimental moralisms and in the process developed a character synonymous with ill-temper, mischief, and an irrational distaste for all things Christmas. Geisel himself couldn't stand sleigh bells, sappy music, and garish decorations and soon realized that he was writing the Grinch about himself. Dr. Seuss was the Grinch. Dr. Seuss's wife also suffered a stroke the same year that he wrote The Grinch. And I can't help but wonder if that played into what he was feeling as he wrote this character in this book. He was grieving. And it's, it's like this. I thought about this too. Like when our world is falling apart and other people around us are happy and enjoying their lives, we can be a little resentful sometimes, right? I mean, I've, I've been there. Like... How can you be having fun when I'm dying inside or when this, is, this Christmas is horrible for me and you're enjoying it? It can be hard. That's just our human condition. Dr. Seuss wrote this book quickly and was mostly finished with it within a few weeks. Biographers Judith and Neil Morgan wrote, it was the easiest book of his career to write. Pain will do that, right? It just flows. It just flows except he had a hard time with the conclusion. Dr. Geisel said, quote, I got hung up on getting the Grinch out of the mess. I got into a situation where I sounded like a second-rate preacher or some, or some biblical truism. Finally, in desperation, without making any statement whatsoever, I showed the Grinch and the Who's together at the table and made a pun of the Grinch carving the roast beast. I'd gone through thousands of religious choices, and then after three months, it just came out like that. Dr. Seuss was not crazy about the commercialization of Christmas. We all struggle with that too, right? Are there some things that you don't like about Christmas? I want to open this up to you guys for discussion. So I'll, let's start with this particular one to focus a little bit. Let's start with a, a Christmas song that you do not like. And on the, on the outset of this, I want to say I don't like any Christmas music. Maybe I'm Grinch. I'm not real sure. But I just don't like it. It doesn't do anything for me. I don't know why. I, I'm looking at my, my fellow Enneagram 4s. I'm wondering, Vicki, do you like Christmas music? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Megan does it. You do? You do love Christmas? Do you like listen to it in the car all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, so Elmer likes it all. We might have problems in this relationship. Go ahead. I have one in particular that I absolutely cannot stand, and it's uh, simply having a home for Christmas time. Like the Beatles? Yeah. Okay. I stand it. Okay, Libby does not like the Beatles. Yeah. 
You know, the simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Who else? What's one you don't like? Santa baby. Santa baby. Okay. Yeah, Santa shouldn't be seen like that. That's right. Yes. Yes, little drummer boy. That's right. And if there had been, somebody would have been like, get out. <laughs> right? What else? What do we not like? <laughs> Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Yeah. Vicky. Yes, Silent Night is the worst. Who else? Do you have one? Okay. What's one that you could just listen to over and over again? <laughs> Kelly said Silent Night. <laughs> yes. Oh, Christmas Tree, yeah. Yes. Jingle Bell Rock. Oh, that's cute. Yes. Deck the halls, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Anyone else? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That is a good one. Yes. Really? Okay, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm teasing you, babe. Carol of the Bells. Now, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's... I don't know if any of you have had a chance to listen to Behold the Lamb of God by Andrew Peterson. That is the only Christmas music I can stand. Like, like listen to it every year over and over again. So if you get a chance, you have Spotify or Apple Music, listen to Behold the Lamb of God. I hope one day that we can do that here one Christmas. JJ and I are strategizing how we might could make that happen. It would be nice. It's really beautiful music. I do like the Eagles Christmas song. Y'all remember that? What's the name of it? Um, I can't think of it now. I'm, think, I'm thinking of the, the verses, but I can't think of the name of it. Anyway, it'll come to me later. If you think of it, just shout it out. What about Christmas movies? Do you like Christmas movies? Oh, gosh. Oh. Oh, those Hallmark Christmas movies? I just can't. Oh. <laughs> Terry says my poll ratings are going down. I mean, the flannel and the small town girl that moved to New York City and couldn't find a man. She moves back home to a town of 2,000. She meets the lumberjack, and they fall in love and live happily ever after. Yes, we know. Exactly. They're so predictable. That's it. Yes. Yes, Christmas vacation. Absolutely. Yes. That's a good one. Yes. Home alone. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yes. The Grinch, that's a good one. Yes, I'm sorry. White Christmas, that's a good one. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's cute. Santa Claus with Tim Allen, that's a cute one. Haven't seen that in long. Is that where his beard keeps growing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cute. Yes. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. Yes, Amy. Home Alone 2. Is that yours? The fifth movie of Home Alone is Emmy's pick. Yes. The Christmas Candle. Is that based on a book? 
Interesting. Now that I might watch. I th- Oh, I love that. May have to check that out. Yes, JJ. Yes, the Muppets Christmas Carol. That is good. That is good. So, in the story of the Grinch, we are told that he hated Christmas. He hated it. And that's not what we expect to hear about a, a children's book character, that they hate Christmas. It's a little different, especially in 1957. But does anybody know why the Grinch hated Christmas? Max? Sir? Lily? Okay. All right, because every Christmas before, he had no one to celebrate with. Yes? They, Lily said when he was at the orphanage, he, they had never celebrated Christmas before, and uh, he didn't know anything about it. Yes? Yeah. Elmer said he was bullied. Would you be surprised to know that Dr. Seuss never tells us why? So where do we get this? The movies, right? Because I thought that too. But the book, he never says why the Grinch hated Christmas. He kept it ambiguous, maybe to allow us to imagine why. Yes. Yes. Yes, the marketing of Christmas, yes. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, I love a good backstory. Like, why does someone behave the way that they do, right? Like, I've never been a big Marvel fan, but I happened to marry someone who was obsessed with it. And uh, so last summer, I watched the Marvel movies from, like, from the beginning to the latest one. It took me all summer to do it. You know, the plot's about that thick. And it's so funny because my husband would sit there and be trying to explain that. And I was like, I got it, dude. I got it. This is not complicated. I got you. But what was interesting to me about the villains in the Marvel movies they always have a reason as to why they're so bad, right? And some of them have some really bad backstories. You think, well, no wonder you're such a jerk, right? And it makes you, for someone like me, I don't know if this is a four thing or just a sappy thing, but it makes me feel sorry for them. Like, what other choice did they have? It's like they didn't have any other choice. But we don't know why the Grinch hates Christmas, We don't know why he's so mean and why he needs to steal those presents. And it really is unsatisfying when we don't know why sometimes. And the beginning of the Advent story doesn't begin in a lighthearted way either. The scriptures in Isaiah, the traditional Advent scriptures read, If only you would tear open the heavens and come down. Mountains would quake before you like fire lighting the bush, igniting brushwood, or making water boil. If you would make your known to your enemies, the nations would tremble in your presence. The Advent story begins with suffering, with fear and loss, with all the ways that we get it wrong, with abandonment, with betrayal. So you and I are encouraged to look at the Advent story with honesty and vulnerability. Things are not perfect. Things were not perfect then. Things are not perfect now. For some of us, it's really fallen apart. And some Christmases, it's very easy to identify with the Grinch. And so, yeah, 
Advent is a story of preparation. It's a story of waiting. It's a story of suffering, long-suffering. They waited a long time for this Messiah. It's also a story of hope and peace and light and love. And the tension of these things should not be missed by us. So let me ask another question about the Grinch. What color is the Grinch? Yeah. Okay. Green. He was not green. I know, isn't that crazy? He, he was white, yes. He was white with red eyes. But when they go to make the, the, uh, the movies or the cartoons, they needed to have a color for him so he would kind of stand out. So they felt like that lime green. Can you see his hand right over here coming out of the Christmas tree? He needed to be that color. It really stood out. But he just had white skin and red eyes. I mean, the whole book is red, white, and black. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. Very fascinating. But we do easily misremember things, right? Herod misremembered something. Herod did. The ruler, the Judean ruler in the Gospel of Matthew. He had forgotten the story of the foretold Messiah. You see, Herod's father was an Edomite and his mother was a Jewish woman and his father converted to Judaism. So Herod was raised as a Jew. Herod had every opportunity to know these scriptures. But either he never took the opportunity or he forgot. Matthew Rawls likes to imagine that he forgot. He says that Herod had forgotten the scriptures that foretold the birth of this Messiah who would bring peace to earth and make things right. This Messiah would not be this tyrant or overlord or this malevolent dictator. Herod, if he had not forgotten, could have viewed this news of this birth with interest, with curiosity. But he didn't. He became afraid. And when he was afraid, afraid of losing his power, afraid the people might like this new guy better, in his anger he forgot the story, the prophecies. And in his anger he reacted badly. And in the same way, why in the world would the Grinch be upset at the Whoville people for simply enjoying their lives? He could have been a part of them. There was no reason he couldn't have just walked down there and been a part of their community. But he didn't. He stayed away from them and watched them from afar. He, and that caused him to seethe with this anger and this resentment, this misunderstanding that led to hate. And his hate, as Rawls says, warped his understanding and his memory of what Christmas was, just as Herod's fear and desire for power prevented him from seeing the birth of Jesus as good news. Fear and desperation to hold on to power, loss of control, and unwillingness to learn something new about ourselves and others, this resistance to humility, it always sets us up for failure. We will miss seeing the goodness in others. We'll miss seeing the goodness in ourselves. We'll miss seeing everything so clearly. Herod missed it. And because Herod didn't remember, because he missed it, he responded to the news of this baby, of this Messiah, with hate. And the Grinch did too. Now, you and I don't hate anyone. We would probably never say that. Maybe we can all agree to hate Hitler. But like somebody that's living and breathing in our midst right now, we don't really own up to hating anyone. 
But we can certainly be hateful toward others when we misremember, when we forget that we've had hard Christmases too. We've all experienced job layoffs, financial instability, divorce, death, and on and on. We can quickly become hateful in our thoughts toward others. And we have to be on guard against that. You know, the Grinch assumed certain things about the people of Whoville. He assumed that there was no way their happiness and delight was real. Nobody could be that happy. <laughs> and he also believed that they were only happy because of their things because of their Christmas gifts, because of their pretty trees, because of their good food, their roast beast, as he called it. He misjudged. He assumed wrong. And so Advent is a time for us to be introspective about our own suffering, our own um, examination of how we might be thinking hate-filled thoughts towards someone are we resentful of others? Are we paying attention to other sufferings? Advent gives us time to ponder all these things. And it gives us time to face our own expectations. Now some of us have unrealistic expectations of Christmas. Right? Don't we sometimes get it hyped up in our head a little bit too much? And it doesn't come out the way that we planned it in our head? And how disappointing that can be. And Christmas might be hard. For me, uh, you know, Chris, I, I realize that Christmas can be tough for some of us because of unpleasant memories that may be there from years gone by. This is my story. I had unpleasantness in my childhood around Christmas. And the book, The Body Keeps the Score, it, 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 I, before I even know it, once... November starts hitting, my body is responding to that, and I don't even realize it until I... Now, I, I catch it much earlier than I used to, I, uh, but it does happen. And your body may respond that way, too, at Christmas. For me, I become a little bit more withdrawn. I become more quiet. Um, I sleep a little more than normal. I don't really enjoy the hustle and bustle because I can be resentful, and I want to get far away from it. But I've also learned that those are not healthy ways for me to cope. And so I try to actively push against that once I see it happening in my own life. And that may be your story too. And it's okay if it is. Do what you need to do. Take a day off. Sleep a little longer if you need to. It's okay. Sometimes Christmas is hard. We know that, that Guy Soul, Dr. Seuss, struggled at Christmas, obviously. I don't know if he struggled the rest of the time during his, the year. But he definitely had some pain that he had to wrestle with too. You know, the Grinch has unmet expectations too. He expects everyone in Whoville, when they realize that their Christmas presents are gone, that their trees are gone, that their decorations are gone, he expects that he's going to hear all this wailing and crying and carrying on and he just can't wait he wants to hear that he wants to hear them be sad he wants to he's waiting on it and he doesn't get what he wants he has unmet expectations you know advent is waiting 
It's purposeful. It's meaningful. It causes us to slow down and practice patience. I didn't grow up celebrating a tradition of Advent. I grew up, you know, all of December we just sang Christmas songs every Sunday. And I guess the preacher talked about different Christmas stories that he could talk about. Notice I said he. Um, <laughs> we didn't do Advent. Uh, so this has been a newer concept for me probably within the last 10 or 12 years. But I like this practice of Advent because it forces me to take it all in. It forces me to slow down and take it all in. Shannon, Sharon Miller says, Waiting feels hard and unnatural, as if we are hanging in suspended animation, stuck in a purgatory outside God's true will. But Advent reminds us that waiting is not a detour from the path. From Moses to David to Israel, we see waiting is part of our formation. This phrase she uses is waiting is part of our formation. It just made me think about the work that, that like Vicki and Brian and some of you do with formation communities and um, that waiting is a part of that. But for the Grinch, his expectations didn't get met. And I tried to imagine what I would have done had I been a Whoville resident. Would I have been singing around the, I don't know. I don't know. I probably would have been sad. Probably would have been angry. Um, in Luke 1, we read, When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she probably had expectations too. She was young, but she probably expected one day she would be betrothed. She was. One day she was going to marry Joseph. One day she was going to have a family. One day she was going to have her own home like her mom did. But those expectations got upended by that visit from the, from the angel. Now what? Does that mean any of her expectations are out the window? And then at some point she recites in the Magnificat, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Through Mary, God tells us that he is breaking through. He is making a way. He is redeeming. And expectations will not be met. The expectation of a Messiah is that he will be a Davidic figure he will topple the, the corrupt, the unjust imperial system. He will slaughter the people that deserve slaughtering. The Messiah will make things right, and he will physically rule their world. That was their expectation. Over the past few months, I've been doing some reimagining in the biblical text um, because I listened to a podcast um, called The Daily from the New York Times. Some of you also listen to it. And in this podcast, they interviewed a conservative pastor from Arkansas. And he was saying that because of the political issues of the past few years, he wound up having to leave his church of 17 years 
because it just got so polarized in his church. He still considers himself a conservative, still considers himself, but it just got to be too extreme for him, and he couldn't work through it with his congregation. They weren't listening, they, and he just felt like, he told his wife, I need to leave now while I still love them. I don't want to be forced to leave, and I don't want to be forced to not love them anymore. So he left. And in that podcast, he spoke uh, uh, when he was in seminary of an African-American professor who taught them to not see themselves as the hero or the victim in the biblical story, but as the perpetrator. To imagine themselves as Rome or the misguided Pharisee. Imagine yourself being one of the ones who stoned Stephen or the priest who walks past the injured man on the side of the road. I've never done that. I'm the one in the ditch. I'm the one about to get stoned, right? I don't imagine myself being the bad guy. My expectation when I read verses, these biblical stories, is I'm the good guy. I'm I'm wearing a white hat. I am the resident of Whoville. I am Cindy Lou Who. I am Spider-Man. I'm not the Green Goblin. Is that a guy that's against Spider-Man? Thank you. Thank you. I am Thor and not Loki. Is that right? Okay. I am the woman. I am the one. But the truth is, I am not always the hero. Not always the victim. I'm not always wearing a white hat. And I'm not saying that to make you or me feel bad. I'm just being honest. The point I'm trying to make is not, oh, let's go feel bad about ourselves. We feel that anyway. But what I am saying, we have to imagine ourselves as both because we are that complicated. We get our white hats dirty sometimes. They get scuffed. We sometimes do pass by people laying in a ditch. Sometimes we are the Grinch. And I say this because I believe it's important that we estimate ourselves correctly. I say this because we all need grace. And because we all need grace, we must remember to give it to others. Our expectations of ourselves are sometimes skewed. Sometimes I think I'm better than I really am. Sometimes I think I'm worse worse than I really am. We can get skewed. We need humility. We need honest appraisal. Now this is how I want to wrap this up. Unmet expectations, as Rawls says, is sometimes the very thing we need. The Grinch needed his expectations to go unmet because he needed to be healed from his incorrect estimation of others and his incorrect estimations of himself. He saw the people of Whoville through a lens of fear which caused him to hate them. He needed his lens cleaned. And they were, through his unmet expectations. Mary needed her expectations to go unmet. And because of her, we have Jesus, the hope of the world. We need our expectations to go unmet. We need to be humbled every now and then. We need reminding of how desperately we need grace. Because when we are reminded of how desperately we need grace, we give it away more freely toward others. Only then can we offer one another hope. And we need hope, just as we lit the hope candle this morning. Hope 
for when our unmet expectations are dashed. Hope when suffering within ourselves is all we can see this Advent. Hope when our preconceived notions about situations and people are skewed. Hope to see ourselves clearly and able to see ourselves covered in grace. And then to share that hope with others. May it be so with us this Advent season.